0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: What a lovely, what what a beautiful scene uh, I find before me. I am on the tranquil River Avon. The reeds gently swaying with the breeze, the the weeping willows, dangling a finger in the stream. It's all very wind-in-the-willows, as it happens. And, and, and as I look on the map here, it, it adds to the impression there are suburbs called Dallington and Addington and Hillmorton, Rickerton. <laughs> you get the picture. It's a place that's equal parts English pastoral than Edwardian period drama. I mean, the, the woman punting this boat is literally in Edwardian dress.
2: Yeah, hi, that's me and they make me wear this. But you know, it's, it's all a bit of fun and I don't wear this in my spare time, much.
1: But no, we are not in England. In fact, well, we're almost as far away as we can be. We are in Christchurch, New Zealand, a city that seems to be dripping in symbols of the English genteel. After all, the name given to this place by colonisers was taken from a residential college at Oxford University. But if you dig a bit deeper, you'll find other histories that converge here. Like this river, also known as the Otakaro, or or Tautahi, Christchurch, and of course, Aotearoa, New Zealand. Th- there's a wealth of stories right here in a city that's often been considered a sleepy provincial town. Let's dive in.
2: Hey, no, not literally. Oh, he's going to get sick. Woo. <laughs>
1: Attention passengers. <laughs> Jonathan Green, this is Return Ticket, the podcast that takes you on journeys of the mind to the near and the far flung, searching for what the tourists never see in this series. We'll find the unexpected in the familiar, going to travel destinations, popular and obscure, peeling back new layers and rich histories. In season one we'll be finding calm in Beijing, banality in New York and authenticity in Bali, among many other fine things. Think of this as tourism untrapped. In this episode we're in search of renewed Christchurch. I, I would not recommend what I just did.
2: Look, Jacinda told him about the water quality. We all did.
1: It turns out the Avon or Takaro is, is teeming with high levels of E. coli, nitrates, phosphorus, all manner of other pollutants. It has improved over the years. And there are plenty of spots along the river, though, that are simply unsuitable for swimming. It sure puts a, a pin in the idea of New Zealand as 100% pure. Well, his has got me in. Uh, anyway, there are reasons for this, partly due to the place's fair share of adversity in recent memory. Now, you might remember the devastating 2011 earthquake where, where the shallow 6.3 magnitude quake killed... 185 people. Damage to the city's sewage system at the time meant that up to 38,000 cubic metres of raw sewage had to be discharged into the Avon or Takaro for about six months after the quake. In all around 100,000 buildings were damaged and of that number 10,000 were demolished. Now much of the worst affected areas have been declared uninhabitable They're eerie sights now, grasslands and wetlands standing where vast riverside suburbia once held sway. It's officially called a red zone, and the total size of this abandoned space is almost two times the size of New York's Central Park. One man who's going to help me make sense of what's to become of all this is Joseph Hullen. He's a chief storyteller at Naitahu the, the local iwi who hold the mana venua, or territorial rights over most of the South Island which includes Christchurch. Joseph hello look thanks for meeting Hey Jonathan, how are you doing? Now, just to begin, can you give me a snapshot of the Atakaro's significance to Ngāi Tahu?
3: I mean, every, every culture needs water, you know, for, for their physical wellbeing, um, but also your spiritual and emotional wellbeing. Um, and it, it doesn't hurt when you have a, a pre-European water system um, such as the Otacador that was like um, the world's biggest pack and save, or certainly Canterbury's world's biggest pack and save. You just roll out of bed and you've got um, all of these fish species, all of these bird species, um, plants with berries or roots. Um, so food, you know, food for, after- well, not quite Africa, but food for Or.
1: And then the earthquake of 2011. Yeah. What what was the consequence of that for the river?
3: So we we learned about a thing called liquefaction and lateral spread. And so lateral spread, if you imagine a a riverbank and the ground shaking like, you know, several hundred times uh, uh, in a minute and compacting everything, everything sunk. And so the river the river uh, bank margins sort of blurred and got closer to each other um, and so the channels shrunk in width and in depth and then you also have this liquefaction sediment coming, bubbling up um, through fissures in dry land but also in the bed of the river that smothered everything that existed there so the the existing river cobbles the macrophytes all those sort of things um, were smothered in this this, an aerobic kind of soil sediment that comes up um, as a result of of the tremors. And so part of the uh, Otakaro rehabilitation and restoration was to actually clean that sediment, that uh, liquefaction sediment out of the river and then try to return it to a more normal um, representation of a river, you know. So instead of just being one depth, one width, um, narrow Mm. it in places, deepen it in places, speed it up, slow it down, and create those refugia
1: for various species. How how closely were Maori people involved in in those plans for rehabilitation?
3: Part of our role was to actually look at each of these anchor projects and their location. What's the narrative about the activity that'll take place there? What's our history of that place? How do the two um, fit together? Are there any obvious synergies? Um, How do we manifest or um, present a mana whenua narrative um, that people can look at these buildings or look at these locations and say, yes, they've been repaired and restored, but they tell a a more more balanced story of um, the city's population than pre-quake. You know, if I if I think about growing up in this town, um, walking around the city, you know, in the in this early sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, there was nothing to represent my mum's fucker papa, her genealogy. So she's my Native parent, my dad's fifth generation European, and all of the motives, all of the um, statues, all of the artworks speak to his genealogy, mm. but not Mum's. And so now, as you go through the city, you see the mana whenua influence with cultural narratives, integrated artworks, public artworks, and so. Children, Maori children, Pacifica children, can walk around the city and actually start to see something that talks to them about themselves and being visible in the city.
1: Now, Joseph, I'm, I'm, I'm heading into town. I hear you have uh, a, a brand new library building.
3: It's, it is. It is the funkiest library you will ever
1: visit, Jonathan. <laughs> I, I assure you. i oh, on my way, Joseph. Thank you. Attention, passengers. One of the joys of Christchurch City Centre is that it's easily walkable. And most of the civic buildings and cultural spaces are clustered around the bends of the Avon or Takaro. And because of the quake, you'll find Victorian architecture standing cheek by jowl with the new... Look, this street corner here, it's one example. That building across the road is extraordinary. It's either I don't know, it's a, a cathedral, an abbey, a stately home, or a, or a brewery. I'm not sure. We're going to meet though, uh, Chris Vavasor, in there. It, it is in fact the Christchurch Art Centre. This this quadrangle at its core is a is a beautiful space. Chris wrote her master's thesis on how music helps Christchurch recover after the quake. Hi. Jonathan. Now, now, why this place? Why did you want to meet me here?
2: Yeah, we do good fake history here in Christchurch. <laughs> yeah, well, this is, uh, this is <laughs> they look a lot older excellent. than they are. There are lovely neo-Gothic buildings and we all love them very much and we're, we're so glad they're still here. The importance
1: of this, this art centre, Christchurch art centre, to the, the local music scene?
2: It's not necessarily the main art centre complex itself. It's this little sort of neo-Tudor building on the corner here, uh, which since, The 1970s was home to the Ducks Deluxe and so many of our favourite bands started there and played there and, and we have all sorts of music. We go from punk to heavy rock to dubstep and electronica and you know real strong sort of r&b hip-hop vibe as well so it's it's anything and everything and just about everybody played at the ducks
1: all of it set in a quaint mock Tudor setting
2: (laughs) yeah quite incongruous it was never the best venue it was strange shape it was weird the sound desk was in the wrong place but we loved it It we loved it to death
1: your your research it it hones in on on music and especially that music of the place helped. Tr- I was going to say recover, but that's not quite the right word. helped Christchurch well, work it, through it, the earthquake.
2: Yeah, it helped me survive, and and I suppose what I was trying to do in my research was show that that it really helped us build connections it took us away from places you know music can take you anywhere it can take you back in time it can take mm-hmm. you somewhere else entirely and and honestly when you're living through a disaster even just feeling like you're somewhere else is is really good it it was a really bizarre time looking back the the things you get used to the the constant adrenaline sort of flowing through your veins because you just don't know when the ground is going to leap up underneath you um it it really was quite bizarre and i think a lot of us were initially it, it wasn't that bad you know the the damage was um from the first earthquake was for most of us, wasn't too bad. It it actually damaged my house to the the point it needed uh, demolition later. But um, you know, we were we were kind of relaxed. And then in February the next year, it mm. just it was totally different. And you didn't know who who had survived or you. Know, so I had a lot of friends who were musicians, and they were just playing everywhere. They were playing in parks. They were playing in people's backyards because they were. They felt that, well, they they were pretty useless with a shovel, but they could pick up their guitars and they could at least make us feel a bit better for a while.
1: Chris, I've got some other places to see, but I I think we'll bump into each other anon in this beautiful town of yours.
2: (laughs) Oh, I've got plenty to show you. See
1: you soon. Now, I I need to get to Cathedral Square. Hmm, someone someone told me there's an easy way to get there. What, What was that again? Ah, of course. Christchurch's only tram. The story of post-quake Christchurch is the story of a place where citizens have had to make hard decisions about just what a 21st century city looks like. What to take, what to leave, what to do with the residue of tragedy. Now the built environment, it's a good place to understand how this has played out in, in big and small ways. Now I'm off to meet John Walsh. He's gonna he's gonna show me around, and who better? John wrote a pocket guide to Christchurch's contemporary architecture. He said he'd he'd meet me at Cathedral Square. Hmm. All I can hmm, all I can see is it, well, it's a construction site. Uh, you, you might remember the, the the city's Anglican Cathedral in ruins after the quake. It's a hmm, decade on. Things are things are not moving too quickly. Oh, oh, hang on, there he is. Oh, bum, I'm facing the wrong side of the street. How could I have missed this? John, hello. Jonathan, nice to meet you. We're, we're in a, a, a little piazza here outside, outside a, a gleaming new building called Taranga.
0: What's this about? What was on this site before the quake? There wasn't much before, and it is interesting that while the Anglicans have certainly taken their time about Doing their business with the cathedral, which they have decided to rebuild, as was. The secular side of the city got on and has developed Turang, which is the main city library. After the redevelopment, it was an intensive top-down effort directed by central government to develop precincts in the city which would be centered on anchor projects. And this building was one of the, has been one of the first to get done. Architectus a local practice working with the Danish firm Schmidhammer-Lassen who are library specialists noted for their libraries around the world mm. um, and so they have got this up and running and it's been open for a couple of years and it's been hugely successful.
1: Okay let's 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 pop inside.
2: Kia ora, and welcome to Turanga Library. Oh look there's Joseph
1: he's leading a tour
3: on the western wall of our, our lovely library Tūranga, we have a core a fi um, that depicts the story or depicts the ancestor Paikia um, on his way. So Paikia, according to our our uh, is, is our, one of our tribal ancestors. He's uh, the father of Tahu Portiki, um, who Tahu takes its name from. And we share a relationship to him with Ngati Peru, who, who live on the east coast of the North Island. Um, and you would be aware, um, so the story Whale Rider actually um, refers, references Paitia at various times now. Huh? Um, so you have
1: this. Ooh, well, best we keep map. moving. All right, there's the library, John. What's next on our
0: tour? The next building is the Christchurch Town Hall, which is one of the signature works of Christchurch modernism and of its most significant architect in the second half of the 20th century, Miles Warren, Sir Miles Warren, I should add. And it's kind of a brutalist building, you know, concrete, steel, harks back to that masonry tradition in Christchurch. Christchurch modernism was concrete modernism, very substantial solid buildings. But it was quite fine inside, you know, Carrara um, marble sparingly deployed, uh, timber artwork. And so this became another site of the battle between the demolishers and the savers. And I think that a lot of people wanted were quite happy I should say to get rid of modernist some of the modernist brutalist buildings in Christchurch they weren't very loved as they're not very loved anywhere in the world I suspect by the populace in general however the town hall has a fantastic auditorium and a lot of people in Christchurch were very fond of that auditorium and therefore of the building. And for a lot of people, this was just a step too far to contemplate demolishing this. The central government was very keen to demolish it. And the central government was leading the reconstruction of Christchurch. The cabinet minister in charge of it famously said that, you know, he was sick of all the old dungas. Let's just get rid of them. The old what? The old dungers. <laughs> like like it was some sort of clapped out, you know, Chrysler Valiant that you had to t- t- get taken away. So there was a proposal, obviously, to build a new town hall or to save it and the locals managed to win that fight. And uh, the building itself, uh, uh, post earthquake, I mean
1: what, what was the extent of the damage? Did it did it pull through rather well?
0: No, it was quite badly damaged. It had a lot of structural damage. I mean, it didn't completely fall over, but all the levels were completely stuffed inside. So they've really had to do a lot of engineering. So there's, I think there's over a thousand concrete columns that have been driven into the ground and there's a huge raft of concrete, about 850 millimetres above that, that the whole thing now sits on. So they had to go right down under it, prop it up, shore it up Mm. and restore the, um, the top of the building above that. So there must be a a great emphasis on
1: prophylactic construction uh, to preserve these buildings uh, the next time that earthquakes
0: come. Anything that happens there now has to be so well engineered. I mean, the key decision, I suppose, that was made after the earthquakes was an existential one. You know, do we rebuild the city where it was? And very early on, they decided to do that. But it has taken quite a while. And in the meantime, a lot of the inner suburbs around the centre city have developed as little hubs. And so people left there, you know, bars and restaurants, offices relocated to these inner city suburbs. So there there was a real problem about what would happen with the centre of the city. And the the centre of the city is something that's becoming, you know, it's not going to be a finished thing for a generation. It's going to be slowly filled in. So I think for a lot of people who grew up in the city, it's been quite alienating because all their landmarks, so many of them have gone. Mm. For younger people, and a lot of younger people have moved to the city with, you know, with the reconstruction work and such, um, it's probably not so much a factor for them. You know, they don't mind. They'll grow up with a city that's becoming something else. That's probably fine. But I think for the older demographic, it has been quite disorienting
1: a city that's becoming something else That's uh, John,
0: there's a thought to conjure with a thought that I will leave you on thank you, thank you (laughs) for this tour you're welcome Jonathan, hey nice to meet you in Christchurch
2: oh there you are come on Jonathan, get in
1: oh Ripper, hi Chris where are we off to?
2: Well, since I mentioned it earlier, I, I should take you over to Littleton. so we're going to go and check out the Wonder Bar.
1: I've heard of Littleton. Uh, it's Port Town, about 20 minute drive from Christchurch, nestled at the foot of mountains, looking out on a, a glittering harbour, home to a rich creative scene. But... To get there, we have to drive through the Littleton Tunnel. Now, this was the epicentre of the 2011 quake. Chris has assured me that's all safe and sound now. (laughs) But back to the Wonder Bar. Uh, It's a bit of an institution, uh, a home for local musical talent. We're here! It's the Wonder Bar!
2: A lot of really cool people uh, have played here, uh, it's a bit of a, a quirky sort of town, it's a real community, uh, There, you know, houses were cheap for a long time, nothing's cheap anymore, but it's got a real artist feel in this community, real alternative collection of people and a lot of musicians really love living here or spending time here, uh, people like Lyndon Puffin. Uh, Adam McGrath from the Eastern, and a couple of names you you might know, Delaney Davidson and maybe Marlon Williams.
1: And look, I, I'm getting now a picture of a sort of a neo-Gothic alt-country kind of vibe, which is a, a complex and yet wonderful thing.
2: It is. They, you should definitely check them out. I'm not sure if any of them are playing soon, but we can check at the bar. Can I buy you a drink? Absolutely. What would you like? I'll have a tequila. Oh, okay, and it's only ten o'clock. <laughs> yeah, gets the hairs on his chest.
1: So here I am at the Wonder Bar in Littleton, two tequilas in, gazing out over this this beautiful bay, this this port on a on a dreamy day, and thinking of Christchurch back there, through the tunnel across the hill, the town struggling to come to terms with its new self, but doing it in typically New Zealand thoughtful ways, making from all that calamity, something just a little bit better of itself. Attention passengers. You've been listening to Return Ticket, the show that transports you to far-flung places familiar and unexpected, this time in Christchurch. You heard from Joseph Hullen, John Walsh, Chris Vavasour, and producers are Lisa DeVissey, Alan Whedon, and Emma Masters, technical production musical theme by Brendan O'Neill, executive producer Rhiannon Brown. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do tell your friends. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Green.